In the vein of being completely serious while still having fun, we're going to do Hot, Not, or Sanctified, which is a game of church history where we decide whether or not things are positive theological inspirations or not. And we're going to be talking about Isidore of Seville today. And he is someone who is quite interesting. He brings together some different people. He eradicates some heresies, and it's just an overall good thing. I don't want to give away too much about it. But anyways, we're going to have an overview here in a second. If you have listened to the overview, just bear through it again. The music's kind of fun. I think you'll enjoy it again anyways. But stick around for the conversation afterwards because it's fantastic. Isidore was Bishop of Seville, living from 560 to 636 AD. Isidore was born into an influential Christian family, with many close relatives being saints and bishops. He produced numerous writings, including encyclopedias, theological writings, astronomical work, natural history, universal history, and more. Isidore is remembered as a doctor of the church, who not only contributed greatly to education, but also helped to stabilize the culture on the Iberian Peninsula. Isidore had an inquisitive mind that stressed education and was very interested in wisdom and information. Furthermore, he greatly emphasized the need for reading and can be quoted for stating, When we pray, we talk to God. When we read, God talks to us. Isidore was devoted to observing the world around him. Moreover, he firmly believed in both absorbing information from the world and pursuing the wisdom of God on how to use such information for the good of humanity. His mind made clear distinctions between wisdom and knowledge. Possessing information is not the same thing as knowing what to do with such information. Another quote of Isidore states, All spiritual growth comes from reading and reflection. By reading we learn what we did not know. By reflection we retain what we have learned. The conscientious reader will be more concerned to carry out what he has read than merely to acquire knowledge of it. In reading we aim at knowing, but we must put into practice what we have learned in the course of our study. Applying his intellectual side to reality, Isidore was instrumental in stabilizing the culture around him, helping to assimilate the Visigoths and Romans into a more unified culture. The Visigoth Kingdom ruled from the 5th to 7th century on the Iberian Peninsula, where modern Spain is located. The Visigoths would go to war with Rome on occasion. There was tension between the two groups, as there were Roman people living in the Visigoth Kingdom. The Visigoths were heretics following Arianism. Arianism is a heresy which denounces the divinity of Christ. Isidore's family members, who were highly influential in the church, had successfully converted Visigothic nobility and kings out of the Arianism heresy. Isidore continued his family's tradition and effectively dissolved Arianism from the culture. He used orthodox teaching of the gospel to help assimilate the Romans and Visigoths. Another quote of Isidore's is as follows. War with vices, peace with individuals. Okay, now that we've heard a little bit about Isidore of Seville, it's time for our game of Hot, Not, or Sanctified. Joining me today in studio is Anthony, but also on Skype is Amanda. So how this game works is we have looked at a person, we've looked at Isidore. If we say that he is hot, we are saying that he is a positive theological inspiration. If we say that he is not, then we are saying, well, he's kind of depressing and we don't like him very much. If we say that he is sanctified, we are not simply saying that he is sanctified, but instead we're saying only God's sanctified judgment can decide whether or not he is a positive inspiration. So, without any further explanation, Amanda, thanks for joining us on Skype. 
tell us what you think about Isidore. Is he hot, not, or sanctified? Okay, sorry, the video was cutting out a little bit, but I think you're asking me, so I'm going to respond. Sounds good. Um, so, watch, watching the video of um, Isidore, I think there's some very interesting things that we can definitely take some very hot theological inspiration from. Number one being his um, commitment to learning and understanding, and then that commitment takes him not only to gathering knowledge, which I think in our world a lot of people are really good at doing. They're, they're good at gathering facts and opinions. Um, but what makes Isidore kind of sets him apart and also makes him a great theological example is that he then says, take that knowledge and now use wisdom and how to discern that and how that knowledge can then change your world. And we see that it definitely does change the world around him for the better. He's able to create peace between these kind of two warring factions. And through that, you know, as history progresses, he ends up um, being instrumental in um, killing a heresy and um, creating or help creating a nation uh, later on that will have, or actually two nations on that island. But anyway, because he wasn't interested in just knowledge, but also in how that knowledge can impact the world. So definitely hot. Very good. Anthony, what do you think? Um, I would say that, yes, of course, hot. Uh, I think it's very, very cool to see how um, he handles the two... I guess I don't want to say competing, but, you know, the cultures that have tension with one another. Um, and, you know, he doesn't, from what I can tell, he doesn't see it as like a, you know, oh, no, we can't tell them that Arianism is a heresy or anything like that because they're different from us and all this other nonsense. You know, he's like, look, this is a heresy. We need to try to clean this up. Christ was actually divine. And, you know, let's see how we can move forward together from here. And I think that that's a pretty great thing. Yeah, and I think building off that, there's always this temptation when dealing with people who may be different that people, they can't balance a lot of different virtues. For instance, when somebody's a heretic, many people may say, well, we kind of want to be with you, so we're just going to ignore the whole heretic side thing for now. This is not at all what, what happens here, not only with, with Isidore, but also with his family who comes before him. Again, he has a lot of saints and other people that are influential in the church before him. Actually, a lot of his siblings, if not all of the siblings, are, are saints. His brother, Leander, who you've seen a little bit in the video, he's really influential with the people that are the Visigoth nobility before uh, sort of where Isidore's ministry takes full hold. And... Actually, you see things happening like Luvagild, who is a king a few little bit, few years before um, Isidore's sort of climax. You see Luvagild actually puts together a code which gives equal rights to both the Visigoths and the Romans, which is really interesting because you don't see that happening in the world. A lot of times you see this sort of legal dualism where people don't care to treat people who are of different tribes the same way that they might treat those in their own tribe. And it just fascinates me because you see this cropping up in the Christian world, and it's out of this really theological contention on whether or not Jesus is divine, which takes people to the place where they're saying, look, we're going to attribute natural law, and realizing that the origin of, of even someone's citizenship comes from God. The, the human condition is derived from God. It's not derived from anything else. And you see this really interesting assimilation where there's not this necessarily touchy-feely, I mean, let's be honest here, this is a Gothic tribe, they're quite brutal, and they're coming along, and what happens is they, they have to merge with some neighbors that they don't really get along with. 
And it's out of the pursuit of orthodoxy that we really see things start to take a better shape in their culture as a whole. Now, of course, the political side, I know people historically, there's a whole another element to the tribalism there, but the theological side of this, which is really what is defining the existential side of the culture, they come along and they, they're able to assimilate because there's this idea that's not touchy-feely that says we're going to, you know, however you feel is fine. They say, no, your citizenship comes from God. Christ is divine. There is a natural law at play in the world. And when we come together, when we assimilate into one culture, we're going to leave the bad stuff behind and move better. And I just think that's really awesome. Amanda, while you're with us on Skype, you had talked a little bit about excommunication in the past. And I thought you had some really great ideas about what appropriate excommunication is and how it's not right. this. So um, often when we hear the term excommunication, um, we see it often as something that the church does to get rid of people they don't like. And for sure, we can look into church history and see where the church has failed to use excommunication appropriately. Um, However, what it really is supposed to be, what originally was intended for, and then really how the church should continue to use it in this modern era, is a way of establishing what is orthodoxy, so what is right thought, and what is heresy. Um, And you see that even with the CEDAR, or CEDA, sorry, (laughs) Um, I keep thinking of a different name, but anyways, is that he asked for everyone to pursue knowledge and to pursue God and finding wisdom on how to use that knowledge. And in doing that, we find the, the divinity and the humanity of Christ. And so Arianism gets excommunicated. The people aren't, as you made the point before, the people are actually given um, better political status as um, that the law applies to everyone equally, um, which was quite revolutionary for that time and would be revolutionary for probably hundreds, if not thousands of years later. Um, it's something we still struggle with almost. But anyways, in that he says that we, you know, you're called to peace with individuals, but definitely we fight against these thoughts, these heresies um, that will destroy people, will destroy individuals, will destroy communities, will destroy cultures if we let them. Um, so he rightfully uses excommunication as a tool, and certainly the church continue to learn from that today, that there needs to be a time for the church to stand up and say, um, on matters that are not of the church that some people say oh that's christian we're like no that it really isn't um whatever those modern heresies are for today we need to practice good excommunication yeah and really what you're emphasizing when you're talking about excommunication is this ability to make distinctions where you're making a distinction between what's good christian teaching and then that which is just not and what we find here with isidore and really everything that's going on there on the Iberian Peninsula is they are saying, look, we're making distinctions. The heresy is bad. Being a heretic is bad. However, and I love that that statement we had there in the end of the video, war with vices, not with people. When we look at different cultures around the world, there's there's stuff in the world all over the place that's just absolutely terrible things that go on in our world. The idea that everyone has equal human rights, you can find places in many parts of the world, especially... There's some places in the world where where the human condition is in a very abysmal plate. And this idea that everybody can have equal rights, and not only does everybody have equal rights, but when we bring people to a new culture, we are going to make distinctions between things which are appropriate and things which are not appropriate. We don't just bring in the bad elements along with us. When the Visigoths come together with the Romans, and again, this is where the, the Iberian and the 
really the beginnings of Spain, the Hispani people, this culture starts to emerge out of all of this. When they come together, they say, all right, we're going to make distinctions between things which are good orthodoxy and things which are not. And out of making these distinctions, again, it's not trying to paint anyone as being bad. When people live under rule and governments where the government is bad, you know, you don't hold that against the people who live there. You know, you can have war with the vices, but peace with the individuals. And I think that's the one takeaway. If I had people remember anything from Isidore of Seville, it's that last statement, war with vices, but peace with individuals. You can make distinctions and say, look, being a Gothic tribe has terrible barbaric elements in it, but you as an individual, we have peace with you if you'll come along with good orthodoxy. We all, we all are made in the image of God and we can move from here. Any thoughts in, in response to that, Anthony, Amanda, Anthony? I would say that um, that that is, the last phrase, honestly, is more significant than people may give credit for. Like, it seems kind of obvious, and people say it all the time, you know, like, hate the sin, not the sinner, and all that stuff. But it's so interesting that once we see it put into practice, people cannot fathom it you know once like and i'm not saying that people aren't practicing it what i'm saying is that you know if you if i go out and i were to execute this and i were to say that you know some behavior is in fact quite sinful and i'm open about that a lot of people see that as an attack on the person that's indulging into it and you Mm -hmm. you know what i mean whenever really you know i'm just trying to care for that person it's like look you're doing some things that are bad for you maybe bad for others regardless it's going to be bad you know so you know, I'm actually acting in caring for someone else by trying to tell them that something bad is going on. And, you know, a lot of times that's like instantaneously regarded as something evil. So um, I think that that's an important phrase to recognize, but especially to recognize how it works in practice. Because what, you know, I could be completely practicing by that phrase and people will have just no idea and they'll think that I'm trying to attack individuals. Yeah, for sure. Well, back to Amanda on the statement of excommunicating. Just to clarify that, you are making a distinction that it's not just the the church's way of throwing people in the trash can so we don't have to deal with them. In fact, you're saying that people can come back to the church, but the, the distinction is being made that a certain belief, a certain practice is bad, that individual is welcome so long as they come to, to a good understanding and they, they, they accept good orthodoxy. Right, that- so... Yeah, so in the, in the early church, or not the early church, but in the uh, early reign of the Roman Catholic Church, excommunication meant you could not come to the table, you could not participate in communion. You were cut off from the very life-giving um, elements of Christ. And it wasn't supposed to be a permanent thing, That, but you, in order to come back to the table, in order to experience communion and Eucharist, you had to confess that you were wrong. Um, and so there is definitely this call, again, not necessarily against the individual, but against the heresy they were believing. Also, right. excommunication was mostly used against people in power. So it wasn't necessarily the common congregant mm-hmm. that was being excommunicated. It was priests. It was bishops. They were kings. They were leaders in the world that people looked to for what was right and what was wrong. And the church was saying, you're not judging by God's standards. You've created your own that's really what sin is, is saying that God's judgment isn't right, and so I'm going to make up my own judgment and call good bad and bad good. Um, and so excommunication was then that tool that says, until you get it figured out, until you're willing to conf- confess, you no longer can consider yourself a leader in the church. 
And I think that's a great way of understanding that. And even as we we bring, if we look to bring the gospel to the world around us, there are going to be people who who don't believe so many things. For instance, this is the the heresy of Arianism. In the past, and here recently at the local church where I pastor, I've been talking a lot about the Ebionite heresy, which is basically this same idea that Christ is not divine. They've just rebranded it as simply saying Christ was not in existence before Mary conceived him. And by the way, he may have been conceived by Joseph. So they have these sort of small things that slip in there, but it's the same idea that Christ is not divine. Then you get the Arian Arius come along, Christ is not divine. You see people today who will say, oh, well, Jesus is a prophet. He's a good man. He was a good historical figure, but he's not, you know, he's not God. You, you see this manifest all across time. And I think this the lesson we can learn from people like Isidore is, look, we can have war with the vices, but look for peace with the individuals. Make the distinction between that which is heresy and the individual and treat people as individuals and open up the table so they can come into the kingdom of God. Again, excommunicate the things which are bad, but... Let people receive transformation. Anthony. There's um, some more evidence that excommunication has, in its foundation, been a way to differentiate Christian values from non-Christian values. And um, for this, I would reference the writings of St. Augustine of Hippo. Um, one of them, I believe it's actually called Denunciation of the Pagans. But um, it, in that, he's basically like, look, we have to denounce the pagan practices as ex-pagans, as people who used to be pagans, we need to denounce the old pagan practices so that then well, people don't conflate it with Christianity. A lot to talk about with Augustine, and we're just going to leave that there. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, Amanda, and we'll wrap up this conversation right there.